All right. Um, we're going to be back in uh, Ephesians today. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn to Ephesians um, chapter 5, sorry, chapter 5, uh, verses 15 and 16 is what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we've been off, obviously, on a couple other subjects the last, last couple weeks, mostly having to do with the body of Christ and functioning as his body. And we're just going to pick up where we left off in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. Uh, so let's read it. It just simply says, uh, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. It's a, um, it's a short little section here, but it's really all I, all I got through this week um, in terms of, of, of the notes. Uh, I, I just It's one of those times where I feel like the, the, the verse we're on in Ephesians cor- corresponds uh, very well with how the Lord is dealing with me individually. And so when that happens, I, I, I usually can't, I can't move on uh, very easily and, until I feel like I've said said what I'm saying about that. Um, what does it mean to walk circumspectly? I guess that's, if, that's what, if you're reading from the New King James, at least that's the word that's used. It, it, circumspectly is just a word that means cautiously or carefully, uh, warily, you could say. Um, but why are we told to walk cautiously, redeeming the time, because the days are evil? What does that mean? What's Paul referring to there? Um, I, to be totally honest, I can't. I can't say for certain that I know specifically what Paul had in mind when he penned these these verses. I think I. I think I do. I believe I have seen something of what's behind this this uh, statement, this admonition of Paul. And uh, and uh, but, but the language of it is a little bit strange, and, and, and honestly, it puzzles a lot of commentators. Uh, I, I looked it up in a bunch of different, you know, for different people's uh, views on it, and uh, and and most think he's talking specifically about the days in which he lived, the time in which he lived, and 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 the days of great persecution of the church, the days of the Jewish revolt, and all the chaos and bloodshed and and anarchy and total insanity that surrounded that particular uh, manifest end of the old covenant of old covenant Israel. Um, uh, so, so, so most I think uh, deal with this verse in reference to the particular days that he lived in, and that they were evil in that way. And, and I suppose that that's possible. I, I um, but, but, but my guess, my feeling is that Paul's statement is a lot more broad than that. Um, I think that he, when he speaks about redeeming time and days being evil. He's not just talking about a particular time or, or particular days. I think he had a lot more in view than that. Um, I think he made that statement out from an understanding of time and days that very few um, share. The way he saw the way he saw time and days. I think the unusual language, in other words, is expressive of, a, of an unusual comprehension, an unusual view. 
of, of natural life as one sees it <clears throat> more out from the mind of Christ. Um, and as strange as this may sound to some, and probably not to many here, but Paul, Paul the Apostle saw himself quite literally, understood himself. Not, not like he had delusions of grandeur, but quite literally saw himself because it was true. He saw himself as an alien, as an alien from another realm, from another time, from another universe of reality. A f kind of like a foreign life form passing as a, as a stranger through natural time and, and natural space and a natural body. And again, that might sound kind of weird because I'm not saying he wasn't a human. Uh, but in a sense, I, I am saying he wasn't just a human. And I know that Paul. I know for a fact that Paul had that view of him of himself. And I believe, I believe that he's talking about walking cautious, cautiously, circumspectly through through days and time and and space, with with that understanding firmly in place, that understanding. It's almost like he's saying, pass very carefully through this realm because you're not part of it. And whatever you touch has a tendency to stick to you. And we'll talk more about that later. But, um, but my description of Paul's understanding of himself, uh, it, it, it might sound like a an exaggeration to somebody unacquainted with the reality of the cross or unacquainted with the scriptures, I guess. But even if somebody hasn't experienced the reality of the cross and, and how it divides like a sword between two men and two creations and two realities and two lights and all of that, if even if you haven't experienced that, you can tell from Paul's own writings, his own words, that, that this, is, this is how he saw believers, not just himself, believers. This is what Christianity was to him. For instance, in Galatians 6, he says that he's been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to him. In Galatians chapter 2, he says that he was crucified with Christ and that he no longer lives. In 1 Corinthians, he rebukes the church for acting like mere men. They're acting like men, like, like humans. In Ephesians 2, he speaks of being raised up and seated with Christ in the heavens. That's where he saw himself to be. In Colossians 3, he talks about being mindful of the things above, not the things that are on the earth. In 2 Corinthians 4, he talks about looking at things that are unseen and not at the things that are seen. In, in chapter 5 of that same uh, letter, he, he talks about walking by faith and not by sight. In Romans 8 9, he says that he is no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. In Hebrews 12, if he indeed wrote Hebrews, he says that he is already come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the great king, the innumerable company of angels, to Jesus, the mediator of this covenant. Paul was not an earthling trying to get to heaven. Paul was a heavenly son of God trying to pass through the earth circumspectly with wisdom, redeeming the time. And if you'll remember, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the verse, just previous to this verse, Paul says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. And this is, that's, that's what's been happening in Paul. That's what's been going on with him. He, he wasn't, this, this wasn't just a Bible verse, something that he, 
he, you know, some saying that was going around the church, like, like so often these kind of things are to us. They're so familiar. <clears throat> this isn't something Paul read and then repeated. This is something that Paul lived. And he spoke out from that reality. He was literally awakening from among the dead. He was, he was literally learning to walk in the light of the Lord. He was learning to walk in the land of the living. And all of, his, all of his words and all of his actions and his thoughts and his emotions were all increasingly governed by and constrained by by a foreign order, by a, by a foreign life, a foreign law. Paul calls it the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. In every, in every way, living in and by Christ made him an alien an alien to the earth, an alien to this realm. I want to read you this. Uh, if you've been in the, some of the groups this week, we, we, we looked at this quote. I want to read you a quote um, from T. Austin Sparks. It's, uh, I've read it, I don't know how many times this week. It's just really, uh, it just really says, says it well. He says this. He says, I do not know how you read the four Gospels. Perhaps you read them as the life of Jesus here on earth, what he did and what he said, purely as a historic record. I suggest to you that you go back to those Gospels with this one thought. Here is the embodiment of another order of things in constitution and in behavior, in ways of life and in laws and principles governing the life. Here is heaven in evidence. Here is heaven in control. Here is another world embodied. Jesus says, they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Here is another world that has come in this person. Read the Gospels in the light of that, and you will begin to see that he does not do and speak as the people of this world would, even the wisest of them. He's getting everything from heaven. He's getting every word from heaven. He's governed by heaven. That is the meaning of the so oft repeated phrase, the kingdom of heaven the rule of heaven, the kingdom of God, the rule of God. As we learn Christ, so we pass more and more from this world in our, inner, in our inward life and find ourselves more and more in conflict with it and incapable of accommodating ourselves to it or being at home and happy in it. It becomes more and more a far country, something to which we do not belong. That is true in the consciousness of the true child of God, but growingly so. The true child of God, as he or she goes on in this inner spiritual change of knowing Christ, will often ask the question, what is happening to me? I used to be able to do this and that, but now I cannot. At one time I had no qualms or difficulties, but today I have a question. I think if we stayed here long enough, we would find this world an utterly impossible place to live in spiritually. We could only live in it as heaven came down to help us stay here at all. Well, that is a way of putting things. We are just, quote, going home all the time. I love that. I love that. Um, I love that quote. Um, and I want to ask you a question after reading it. I want, to, I want to ask if this is what Christianity is to you. Is this what Christianity is to you? Because this is what Christianity is. It's not a collection of beliefs to have and ways to live in the earth. It is actually a, a veritable exodus 
out from the earth. It's a birth into a far distant land. And then a light that awakens you, awakens the soul to a, a heavenly country, a heavenly country that is Christ himself. Christianity is meant to be an exodus. It's meant to be this kind of an exodus, a moving out from one country, one kindred, one father's house, and into another. That's what it is. The types and shadows in the Old Testament demand that to be true. And the experience of the apostles confirms it. You know, never, never mind that we have, uh, we have made it into something altogether different. Never mind that we have we've put off this transition uh, to, to the death of the body or to some, some natural future event that we're expecting. To Paul, Christianity was the end of one universe, the universe of the natural man. And it was, it was the end of that thought, that time, that place. And it was an ongoing discovery of the universe of Christ through the revealing of the Spirit of Truth, the discovery of the universe of Christ. Sparks says, what I just read, as we learn Christ, so we pass more and more from this world in our inward life, and we find ourselves more and more in conflict with it and incapable of accommodating ourselves to it or being at home and happy in it. It becomes more and more to us a far country, something to which we do not belong. Do those words sound familiar to you? That's, that's kind of what I'm asking. Do those, words, do those words sound familiar to you? Does natural life and natural reality chafe against your spirit-born soul? If it, if it does, then I think we can begin to understand a little of what Paul meant when he tells us to walk circumspectly in this age, in these days, in this time, this time on earth. If, if, that, if that realm is growing foreign to you as a distant land, as a distant country, then I think we can understand something of what Paul means when he says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Paul came to realize that our great exodus can be helped or hindered by how we conduct ourselves in this realm. And I, and I need you to understand what I mean by that because there's ways that I don't mean that. Just to be totally clear, our, your soul is fully born of, of the Spirit the moment you're born again. And I, and I probably don't have to explain this, but I'm just going to be safe here. Paul's not talking about conducting ourselves in this realm in such a way that we go somewhere that we're not already or get something that we don't have. Paul's talking about conducting ourselves in this realm in a way that is conducive to awakening to where we are awakening to where we already are and transitioning in our soul, transitioning in our heart to where we can see that realm and abide in that life and walk in that light and live by that faith. That's what he's talking about. If we're Christians, the Exodus is finished as a fact. That much is, 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 is finished and perfected by God. But just like the Israelites, exactly like them, having come out of Egypt, there remained the inward journey of leaving Egypt in their soul. There remained the inward exodus. You know, one, one could argue that all the Israelites made the exodus through the blood of the Lamb and, and through the sea, and, and there is certainly a sense in which that is true. But you can't read the book of Exodus and Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy and fail to realize that most of them never made that exodus in their heart. Most of them did not. That's where they failed. 
They were brought into a land that they never realized. They were brought out of a land that they never really left behind. You see, that's what I'm saying. That's what we do. We're brought into a land we don't realize. And we're brought out of a land that we never let go. And that's our struggle. When they were in the wilderness, God very much wanted to teach them the reality of where He had brought them and into what kind of relationship they had come. That was on God's heart from the first moment. We've looked at that in the Types and Shadows class. That was on God's heart from the very first moment He brought them out. But they would not loosen their grip on Egypt. They would not walk through the wilderness in such a way that they were awakening to what they had come and leaving behind what they had left. In other words, they wouldn't make the exodus in their soul. They wouldn't make the exodus inwardly. On the contrary, they remained in the wilderness with their, with their hands tightly gripped, their fists clenched to all of their familiar needs, their familiar fears, their familiar desires. And it kept them from going anywhere. And that's more or less how we walk. I think at least most of the time we're, we're thankful for new birth, but we don't really have any inward intention of making the exodus of the soul. I mean, it's, a, it's an idea for us. It's a concept. We like the idea. But to actually loosen our grip on the realm that God has cut off from our soul, I mean, that's... That's something that very few take seriously. We're glad to be out of Egypt. You know, almost every Christian, I think, has a genuine gladness that, um, that they're out of hell or whatever their view of salvation is, but they don't really have any plans to let Egypt pass away from their hearts. And even in, even, even in, the, in, the, in the people that embark on this journey, the, uh, the experiential exodus out from one man and into another, there are still so many ways that we choose not to walk in wisdom, not to walk circumspectly, carefully. We're not careful how we walk. We want, we want to follow the Lord in, in, in this way, and yet we walk as fools, holding on to things that are dead. Dead to us. Turning our heads to stare at things that have been divided from us. Wasting time and wasting days hanging on to a realm and a reality that the cross has has made a distant country. We hold on to it. That's what I'm saying. A place that is no longer our home. I think it was with this in mind that Paul says what he, what he says here in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. I think that Paul had learned something about this. I think he'd learned something about redeeming the time as he lived, this, lived these days in a natural vessel. He's not talking about d d discipline of the flesh to make us appear spiritual. He's not talking about do's and don'ts to please God through our actions. He's talking about maintaining the kind of relationship with the earth that is conducive to making an exodus from it. Maintaining that kind of relationship with the earth. What kind of a relationship do you have with the earth? Paul is talking about using time in the earth in such a way that our hearts are not bound to it. They're free to become, as, as the light shines, our hearts are free to become more and more unconscious of it. Making choices in the earth that are, that are appropriate to abiding in the heavens, and, and, and increasingly so. 
So as I've already said, there's no doubt in my mind that Paul understands himself to be uh, a nomad. He uses words like that, a nomad from another universe, passing through the, through the, uh, the, the earth, pa- passing through time. He's, he, he's in one realm and he's of another realm. And there are scriptures that say exactly that. His, his vessel, his members, as he often says, that word, his members are of one realm. His soul had been newly born of another. And even though his vessel continued to walk in the realm of the one, his soul was seeing and experiencing and growing in the reality of the other. And this is what he describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. You know, if you have your Bibles with you today, you can turn there. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Um, because I want, to point, I want to point something out for the record. Uh, I'm generally happy with most modern translations, uh, at least what, the ones that aren't paraphrases. I, I, you know, I, I, I generally find them to be good, and at least clear enough windows that you can see through the words, kind of what's being said. Um, New King James, King James, New American Standard, New English Standard, Lit V. Uh, not, not terribly fond, as most of you know, of, of paraphrased Bibles. Of, of many kinds because they they're just uh, interpretations. But Second Corinthians five, um, there's there's a few places in the New Testament where the translation has been so completely ruined. I mean, just so it's so so poor that it actually completely obscures uh, the original meaning of the text. And and this is one of those places. So I just wanted to point it out. If those of you who mark in your Bibles or just would remember it in your head. In chapter, um, just to real bring you up to speed here, in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is describing the reality of seeing the glory of God in the mirror in, in us. You're looking in the mirror, you're seeing the glory of the Lord, you're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. In chapter 4, he's describing this reality is happening within our own souls. He's talking about the, the, the light of that life shining in us, in our heart, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In... Um, in, in, in the next, in verse seven, he says that we have this reality in us. It's, it's we have it in earthen vessels. This treasure, this this reality. We are the actual body of the living God. He lives in us. He's joined to us. And then, in utter contradiction to everything that Paul has been saying, our translators tell us in in chapter five, chapter five, verse six, that Paul says, "While we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord." It's like Paul says, wait, forget everything I just said. As long as you're in the body, you're totally cut off from God. You know, that's how it reads. And, um, and, and people have, I, I remember the first time I bumped into that after starting to see the reality of, of the cross, and I remember thinking to myself, what is that? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and, and, it, and honestly, now, you know, all you have to do is look up those words, and you can you can see what it means. But it boggles my mind, honestly, that a translator, even if even if the translator didn't see the reality of Christ's indwelling life, could choose English words that so blatantly contradict everything that Paul has been saying in this letter. Especially when any Greek lexicon will give you good definitions of these two words, and there's two, there's two words here that are translated incorrectly, and and that therefore change the entire meaning of the passage. And you might want to mark this in your margin if you do. Uh, and, and please, go home, look it up in a lexicon, and you can confirm this. Uh, the two words in question here are translated home and absent. Those two words. Um, and this is the only place in the New Testament where these two words are used. 
in this little passage right here. They're unusual words. Uh, this isn't the normal Greek word for home. It's, it's, not. it's not the normal Greek word for absent. Both of these words have to do with the place or country of residence. And the word here that is translated home is a word that means to be in, in one's particular country or land, to be in a particular place, country specifically. And in this case, we're talking about the land or the country of the natural body, is, it, is Paul's analogy here. The other word, translated absent, is actually a verb that means to be in a strange land, to be on a journey, to have left one's homeland, to have left one's country. And so, without getting into a whole lot of detail, this passage should read something like this. So, we uh, are always confident knowing that while we are in the land of the natural body, we are in that country, we are in a strange land. We are in a foreign country. We are those who are on a journey out from the Lord, is, is literally what it says there, out from the Lord. We are like immigrants, nomads, away from our true home in a sense. Paul's describing his own life here. He says, I'm always, I'm always confident. Why are you confident, Paul? Because even though I pass through this strange land, I'm not truly of this land. I'm a citizen of heaven. I have another home. I'm here as an immigrant um, from, from a home that is the Lord. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? This is how Jesus spoke of himself. He says, I am from above. You are from beneath. Jesus' time in the earth, it's like he was passing through a foreign land. He was passing through that land to die and put that, put that realm away from the Father and bring a people into himself back to the Father. But but he was like one in the earth that was an immigrant, someone that was, that was not from there. He was a citizen of another realm, a citizen of another place, another, another life. And so Jesus was always saying things like this. I speak the words of my Father. I do nothing of my own initiative, though I am here with you. I am, I am in, it says one place, I am still in the bosom of my Father. The Father abiding in me does his works. Though I am talking to you, I always see my Father. I am walking by a different light. All that Jesus is doing... It, it, it shows exactly what Paul's trying to say here. He says, look, even though we're in the body, we're in this, this land of the natural body, we're here as those on a journey. We're here on those passing through. This isn't our home. This isn't where we're from. This isn't where our citizenship is. We are, the, we are those uh, who are here as in a strange land. And, and Christ... Christ speaks these things of himself and then Christ brings us into that exact same reality if, if faith will see it. Jesus says in John 17, Father, these are not of the world even as I am not of the world. And this is what sets the stage for Paul's next comment. This is what makes the next sentence make, make perfect sense. He says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Now see, that makes perfect sense. In other words, we, we, are in, 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 we are in the natural realm because of these bodies. But we are here as those who are pilgrims and sojourners, as, as Peter says. We are here as those who are passing through a strange land for a time. This is not the country of our birth. We are born in Zion. We have been born from above. You see? This is not the country of our citizenship. We are citizens of heaven, Paul says. This is not the country of our heart. Our hearts are set on things above. This is not the country that we look at because our, although sight can see this realm, we do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. We see our true country. We see our true land. We see our true place, time. 
the true day that Christ is, that Christ is the light of. And that brings me back to what I think Paul was talking about here in Ephesians 5. I think he was talking about passing our time on earth in ways that redeem time because he understood that we were passing through a world that was not our home. How did Paul conduct himself in the earth once he had been born from above? How did, Paul, how did Paul conduct himself in the earth once the earth was no longer the place of his true birth? When, when, when the earth became, rather than his, his home country, the earth became a place that he was a, a nomad wandering through who was from somewhere very different. Well, he walked by faith. He lived by faith and not by sight. He looked not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. He minded those things above, not those things which are on the earth. These are all his words. This is how I walk through the earth, guys. This is what Paul's saying. You want to know how this works? Fix your mind on things above, not on things which are of the earth. Walk by faith, not by sight. Look at that which is unseen, not, with that, not that which is seen. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He minded those things above. And with that in mind, and, and, and with only that in mind, I mean, well, with that in mind, consider these verses. I just want to read some verses to you. That, that on the wrong foundation, we make them into religion very quickly. But on this foundational understanding, they're very helpful. They're along the lines of what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. In 2 Corinthians 1.12, he says, For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience is that we conducted ourselves in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. 1 Peter 1.17, Peter says, Conduct yourselves throughout your time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless way of life, received by tradition from your fathers. 1 Thessalonians 4.4 4, That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. 1 Timothy 6.7 For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. So having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. 2 Timothy 2.4 No one engaged in warfare, no one who is engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now again, it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous to talk about these kind of verses to Christians because these are the sorts of, of verses and instructions that we so easily turn into works religion. Without a, a firm foundational understanding of the gospel of the cross, then, then these actions and choices that the, that the uh, apostles are, are, are talking to us about, they, they don't have any, any value in and of themselves. Do you understand what I mean? As, as though we can do things and choose things that have inherent goodness. That's not what's going on here. In these verses, Paul and Peter are not giving the church tips in behavioral modification so that they can be pleasing to God. Peter and Paul are talking to the church about how they relate to the world so that their time in the body is not wasted, is not thrown to the earth, is not thrown away. They're warning those who have come to faith not to entangle themselves in the realm that the cross has put behind them. 
Can you see? Don't entangle yourself with it. It's no longer their home. Let the truth sanctify you. Let the truth set you apart. Let the light show you where you are and show you where you're not. Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. You see the difference? So often Christians read these kind of verses and say, okay, here's what I'm supposed to do to be spiritual or something like that. But, but that's, getting the, that's getting the cart in front of the horse. That's, it's impossible. These verses in the New Testament exist because sooner or later, sooner or later in the experience of Christ being revealed in you, you come to a place where you realize that your interaction with the earth, your relationship with the earth, your choices can impede what the Spirit is trying to do in you. Sooner or later you get there. For a little while, you just kind of rejoice at the, in the freedom that, that is in Christ and that religion is not what we're after and that I'm not trying to please God in the flesh. And that's great. But if you go on with the Lord, you eventually come to a place where you see that you can make decisions having to do with your relationship with the earth. You understand? Just be, be clear here. All... All things of growth and life and transformation are a work of the Spirit of Truth by the revelation of Christ. Period. End of story. That's without question. And yet, that being true, you and I can entangle ourselves with the creation that God is actually trying to liberate ourselves from. You and I can fix our hearts on Egypt even though the Red Sea has clearly let you out. You and I can waste, we can waste time and days in various ways that make the, that make the earthen vessel feel more real to us than the treasure that is inside. And I think that's, that's precisely what Jesus is praying for in John 17. Jesus is praying, he says, Father, first he says this, they are not of this world even as I am not of this world. And then he says, so here's my prayer, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart in the truth. Set them apart from the world in me. That's it. That's the end. That's all. Stop there. Let's, let's just pray.